Hello, welcome to Vitech Talks, the podcast. I'm Steve Brandt of Vitech, and this is where we discuss the trends and pressing issues, and certainly the important events shaping the group benefits and retirement industries. With the experts, leaders, and yes, even characters that make our industry what it is. This is a fast, fun way to gain insights and opinions on the topics we all care about. And I'm sure it'll be the best 15 minutes you can spend to keep yourself informed. And I promise, entertained. And welcome to another episode of Vitech Talks, the podcast. I'm Steve Branch, your host once again. And I'm joined today by a special guest. And we're talking, I'll get into his intro in a minute, but we're talking today about agile delivery methodology. Very exciting, very important in today's day and age, especially in insurance and retirement and benefits technology. We're seeing more and more of this and the importance of it uh, as we uh, continue to move into the market. The market continues to evolve. Our special guest today is Carl Katz. He just so happens to work for Vitech now as Senior Director of our Strategic Agile Delivery. A little bit about Carl. Carl leads Vitech's new Strategic Agile Delivery team and has deep, lean, agile program and portfolio management expertise and brings a wealth of knowledge around agile, agile leadership, coaching experience, as he has led three previous Agile at scale transformations. Most recently, Carl led the Agile Program Management Office for four years at Everbridge Incorporated. He's also led Agile development implementations for Tufts Health Plan, Boston area, Cotivity, and Amerisource Bergen. Uh, please join me in welcoming Carl. Carl, great to see you, and uh, welcome to Vitech, and great to have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it very much. Absolutely. And we appreciate you coming here. So let's just kind of jump right into it, Carl. Um, we're talking agile delivery here. If you could kind of give the audience a high level kind of tutorial of the basics of agile, what it is, what's the history, maybe start a little bit about your journey, you know, how you kind of got into it, but just kind of a basic description of of, of uh, Agile methodology, so you can level set with the audience. Sure, um, happy to do that. So um, Agile is an umbrella term that's used in the industry and describes uh, various flavors of software development techniques and project management methods. Uh, and some of those include Scrum, Kanban, Lean, and extreme programming. These are things that have been around for quite a while. Um, uh, it first appeared as a term, Agile first appeared as a term uh, uh, in the uh, uh, early 80s, uh, actually around 1986. It first appeared in a Harvard Business Review article. It started to become popular uh, more in the 90s, but it really took off in 2001 when a group of uh, technologists uh, got together out in Utah, of all places, um, for a meeting to try to figure out um, if there were better ways to do software development than the traditional waterfall uh, ways of working. And the outcome of that meeting produced a short document that's referred to as the Agile Manifesto um, and uh, sort of considered the Bible 
of, of Agile. Uh, uh, and it basically outlines four main values and it also has 12 principles. And it, it's, it's intended to serve as a flexible framework that teams can use to guide their particular software development efforts. And uh, probably the four values from the manifesto that are worth mentioning are individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiations, and responding to change over following a plan. And the, the, the optimal word here is over in, in those statements, right? It, that is to say that while there's value in the items on the right, uh, we value the items on the left more. And that's just a way of saying that as we're transitioning from uh, very established uh, waterfall ways of working that got put in place in like the 60s and the 70s, um, that, that as we try to move to more flexible ways of working, we're, we're putting more uh, emphasis and value on the things on the left um, in, in those value statements. Interesting, very interesting. Um, hey, anything that has the words, what'd you call it, Kanban? I call it Kanban. Now I know kind of where it came from. Kanban, really Kanban, take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> I just like saying it. And the word manifesto. If it's got a manifesto, it's got to be good, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, very interesting. You know, thank you for that. It really helps, I think. I don't think a lot of people realize how long it's been around since the 80s and 90s, especially in our industry, you know, insurance and benefits administration. We're, you know, we're kind of laggards from a technology standpoint anyways. And um, so not surprised that it's not pervasive in our industry, but it's certainly now becoming more and more important every day. So it's great to see that we're catching up with the times. And, and it's really good to see that sometimes being a laggard is good because I'm sure all of this methodology is tried and true and uh, it's, it's very well practiced. You know, so let's kind of get a little bit into the weeds here because this is kind of really heady stuff um, that I think the audience will appreciate. There's a lot of detail here in software methodology, delivery, development. Uh, this isn't uh, surface uh, uh, stuff here. So let's get into the into it and you know, talk about you know really how does it work in practice? What what's the difference between traditional methods? and uh, agile methods, you know, the kind of a nuts and bolts discussion. And, and I'll tell you from my, my perspective, right? I mean, I'm new to agile, as I just mentioned. And I kind of feel like, you know, waterfall methodology is this kind of traditional, very rigid type of approach. And, you know, from the outside looking in, I see agile is this more kind of loosely driven, orchestrated, uh, I don't want to use the word chaos, but there's there's a lot going on, a lot of stuff happening uh, that is more loosely managed, but the end result um, uh, can be more powerful. So it's traditional corporate meets commune, if you will, uh, society. You know what I mean? Kind of in my mind. But uh, go ahead, I'll let you. Yeah, no, I I think the way that you just kind of described that is 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 uh, you know pretty much accurate. I mean. You know, the, the traditional waterfall methods, um, you know, also referred to as phase gate methods, um, you know, are typically thought of as much more rigid, um, you know, agile, as, as you were saying, um, you know, just the name of that uh, uh, process uh, suggests that there's, 
it's lighter weight. Um, it's more nimble. Um, so I think you're spot on with, with how you're thinking about it. Um, you know, to add to that, I mean, what I can say is that agile is as much a mindset as it is a process methodology. Um, it really emphasizes teamwork, frequent delivery of working software, um, close customer collaboration, and the ability to respond quickly to changes. And so those things are all in contrast to the more traditional waterfall project management software development techniques that really emphasize upfront planning of all the work and then executing it in sequential phases that I mentioned, right? Your traditional requirements, design, build, test, release. Those are all distinct phases that occur over a lengthy period of time and often result in missed market windows and, and or customer expectations. Um, and, and Agile was really created to counteract all of that. Um, you know, at the heart of Agile is the Agile team. Uh, in contrast to traditionally large development teams used in waterfall methods, Agile teams are relatively small. Uh, they contain five to 11 people, plus or minus two. Um, so, you know, you'll have up to 11 people, maybe the average is more seven to nine people. Um, it's an agile team is a self-directed cross-functional team, meaning that it, it has all the requisite skills needed to design, develop, test, and deploy a software increment itself. Um, and that's a pretty big change from waterfall, uh, methods where, uh, distinct teams are doing each of those things, right? Um, uh, having a, a, a cross-functional team means that all software developers, testers, business analysts, PM folks uh, are dedicated to a team and work together in collaboration towards uh, a goal, right? So um, by doing that, it results in fewer handoffs between uh, departments, uh, often siloed departments, uh, and this helps to reduce delivery delays. Yeah, that's a big difference, right? I mean, where you're really empowering these scrum teams to kind of do it and own it all, right? Within that, uh, within that specific delivery that they're they're working on. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. And and so, tell me about those team members. I mean, this is another thing about agile, right? Uh, there's these roles that are called different things. And then there's similar roles from, um, there's kind of newer roles maybe. Um, and then there's the similar roles that are called to have different names. You know, the one yeah, that everybody no. jumps out, you know, the whole scrum master name is, uh, it's one absolutely no, you're, you're, you're hitting on, you know, a really important topic. Um, something that's critical to the nature of, of an agile team, right? Um, uh, particularly in, uh, the Scrum process, which is a, sort of one of the most popular team-based agile processes out there. Um, it really relies on um, three distinct roles on the team. Um, it's a little bit of a, of a misnomer because th there are more people on a team. But uh, what I'll tell you is that there is a role called the product owner or a PO um, who has deep customer market and product domain knowledge um, to help the team uh, basically identify what are the product priorities uh, uh, in the features that the team needs to work on um, over time to deliver the right product to the customer at the right time? Um, and that PO uh, plays a pivotal role on the team by, by helping to prioritize that product backlog of items uh, for the team. 
Um, there's a scrum master on the team. Um, uh, and that basically replaces the traditional command and control project manager that we're familiar with in a waterfall setting. Um, the scrum master acts as a servant leader and a coach for the team uh, to facilitate the, the various key ceremonies and events that uh, enable the scrum process. Um, and they're there to also help coach the team, enforce good agile behaviors, and just help the team improve over time as they move through their work and executing uh, the work uh, in these various uh, scrum events and ceremonies. Um, they're also there to remove impediments and blockers for the team so that um, the rest of the team can just go and, and get their stuff done. And then that brings us to what's considered the third defined role on a scrum team, um, which is just the team, right? That's how they kind of actually phrase it. But it's it's a little bit, as I said, a misnomer because it's comprised of the remaining dedicated resources that you obviously need to, to create software, right? And this includes your software developers, your QA testers, um, perhaps your business or solution analysts. Um, and unlike in a waterfall uh, method in which developers only develop and testers only test, in an agile team, it's, like I said, it's a self-directed, uh, self-managed team of peers um, that are all working together. No one is over anyone else. And so they're committed to uh, achieving the goals. And so where there's a difference is that, you know, in an agile team, um, you know, they're, they wanna be more flexible and committee, committed to doing whatever's necessary to ensure that the team meets those goals. So, so as an example, if, if testers are, are behind schedule or are in the weeds, so to speak, um, the expectation is that if, if a developer is done with his or her uh, piece of, of, of coding and they've got capacity, um, they should jump over and actually help test. Um, oh. So that's something that you don't typically see very often in in a waterfall process. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great explanation. And, and that that you know, as you talk, it just it just continues to remind me of that uh, that that uh, that communal type approach, right? Where everybody's looking out for everybody else. Let's get what needs to get done. We're a team. It's not you do this and you do this. We're all in this together. And I think that's a, that's that really kind of jumps out in your explanation. You know, we don't have a lot of time left right now, um, Carl. This has been great, but with the say thirty seconds or a minute we have left, just very quickly, you know, what do you see when when an organization tries to go through this change? What are the biggest impacts? What are the biggest things that they need to kind of look out for? Oh, um, you know, I, I think that um, it, it's it's been my experience that transitioning from a traditional waterfall process to agile methods. Um, it's a significant undertaking. And, and that's largely because there's a lot, a lack of understanding, I think, uh, both at the business leadership level in a lot of these organizations, as well as some of the people that are, are trying to implement it. And um, as, as a result, organizations just don't necessarily approach uh, an agile adoption uh, in the right ways. Um, those who haven't been formally trained in agile processes start to dabble by cherry picking various one-off techniques that they may have heard about um, that actually can be less effective used in isolation um, within the existing waterfall process. And that just injects a lot of ineffective and unnecessary churn into the, the organization um, and also spreads misinformation and misconception about what, what Agile or Scrum you know, is. And so you know, it's been my um, experience and, and, and great fortune to, you know, uh, you know, help figure that stuff out. And, and I think the appropriate response to counteract a lot of that is to, 
you know, ensure that you're providing the proper training and coaching from qualified lean agile experts, um, uh, you know, to your, uh, to your constituents, right? Um, Gee, funny you'd say that. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, that, that is why I came to Vitech and, you know, to, to help lead our new um, lean agile center of excellence. Um, We've got three other uh, uh, senior lean agile coaches in, in that group. And so uh, we're focusing on the delivery organization right now um, and trying to help with some of our client engagements. But uh, over time, we'll, we'll be working with the rest of the organization to 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 promote uh, good agile behaviors. That's great, Carl, and we're very happy to have you. Uh, obviously, you you know what you're talking about, what you're doing, and that's exciting uh, for, for me personally and for Vitech uh, as an organization. So thank you very much for that, and, and thank you for spending the uh, the time with us here today. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. I know this has been great. Really appreciate it. Perfect. Okay, um, and now it's that time of the show for the Brant rant. And, you know, today, today's rant will be less of a rant and more of a tribute, really, to a person who has, you know, meant a lot to myself uh, in my life, as well as a lot of play, a lot of people uh, in this world, this country. And I'm talking about uh, now, the now late, great Bill Russell. Uh, who died at uh, the age of 88 uh, this past week on July 31st. And someone that, you know, I came to know as a, as a young person. I, I'm, I'm too young, I can't say that very often, but I'm too young to have been able to see him play. But I want to talk a little bit about Bill Russell. And for those of you who know him or don't know him, he was a, a giant in the American sports scene as a basketball player in the NBA. He was a giant uh, off the court as a person who fought tirelessly for civil liberties uh, throughout his life. Um, as a player in, 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 the, uh, in, in basketball, he was uh, the winningest team player, the, the winningest player in team sports history in America. Uh, and backed up by two national championships in college, an Olympic gold medal the year he graduated from college, he went on to the Boston Celtics and won 11 championships in 13 years as their star player, two as a player coach, five-time MVP, 22 rebounds a game for his career, and 21-0 in Game 7 winner-take-all games. So this guy knew how to win. He was the first black head coach of a major American sports team, uh, and he's been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as both a player and a coach and also into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. That, that platform, however, what it really did was it gave him the ability to do what he was truly passionate about, which was uh, fighting for equal rights, civil justice in America. As a, as a black athlete uh, in America in the 60s and growing up in the 50s, he certainly had his share of uh, brushes with racism. Uh, throughout his life. And he brought that uh, experience into uh, the equal rights movement of the time. He led the first boycott of a sporting event to protest racial injustice in 1961, when his teammates were not allowed to sit in a restaurant in Kentucky. They boycotted the game and flew back to Boston. He marched with Martin Luther King 
and was at the I Have a Dream speech on stage with the great Dr. King. Uh, he stood with Muhammad Ali in protest of the Vietnam War. He was the pallbearer at Jackie Robinson's funeral. And he continued his, his civil rights activities uh, up until the day he died uh, and was awarded the um, Presidential uh, Medal of Honor by Barack Obama in 2011. So he really did use basketball and he bridged his basketball life and his activism by using that platform to spread the message on behalf of millions while being unapologetic and unwilling to, to bend to the will of those who opposed his views, always staying true to who he was and what he believed was right. Rest in peace, Bill Russell. Your legacy will continue to improve our lives forever. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Bytech Talks, the podcast. <laughs>